What's going on, guys? Welcome to tonight's real estate state of the market event. We're going to be talking about real estate. We're going to be talking about mortgages. Uh, we're going to talk about real estate in the form of uh, law. We got uh, some exciting guests uh, that are going to be talking as well. I am super stoked for this event. I've been waiting for it. Sorry for the delay. We have had a bit of a uh, technical difficulty, but we're live now. We're ready to go. I want to welcome to the stage my uh, buddy and co-worker, Mr. Joe Sequera. Hey, everybody. How's it going? So awesome. Joe, why don't we talk about the start off with the real estate market, talk about how things are going. Yeah. And um, yeah, so you got a few listings on the go. I did. Yes, I had a few listings going. Um, some good, some bad. Um, I can talk a little bit about that if you would like. Um, yeah, so I had a property all the way out in East Willenbury, if anybody knows where that is. Um, it's just kind of north of Newmarket. Um, and I will be honest, I'm going to toot my own horn here. We did incredibly well. Um, the highest price that anybody ever got in that area was $999,000. And this was even at the height of the market. And so I'm, this is a positive note for this market because some areas are doing a little bit better than others. And then we'll kind of get into that a little bit. But I managed to get that sold and under contract for $1,028,000. And we're talking, we're in a downturn market. Absolutely. And uh, here I am back to myself and I'm gonna tell you exactly what I was thinking. Now, you're right about it. Right now what I find is the Niagara region is really struggling out there. And a lot of people are gonna be struggling as well. Like when it comes to mortgage renewals, I believe 33% are coming due in the next in the next year, but Leo will talk about that when he gets on. So what we're gonna get into now, is, you know, obviously you've had some, uh, you know, some success with your listings, but you've had some struggles as well. Yep. And I think a lot of people are going through that. A lot of the event is going to be, uh, not the event, a lot of the market is going to be uh, interesting. We're in officially in a buyer's market, which I think most people watching will already know that. Mm -hmm. Now, where the benefit is with this is that there's going to be an opportunity to be able to buy now. Mm -hmm. I would say if everybody's waiting for the so-called crash that uh, really doesn't happen to people's expectations, we are kind of in that market now. We've leveled out into the buyer's end, and I believe now is the opportunity to get deals. See, we're in the mid-November right now, and I think if you want to get the best possible deal, I suggest that you start looking now and putting offers mid-December. Mid-December is going to be at the point where houses are going to be sitting on the market for a while. People are going to, uh, you know, have uh, a desire to get out before the new year so they can uh, move before uh, school is out and all that stuff or back to school and stuff like that. So it might be an opportunity and I'm going to say something that's going to piss a lot of realtors off but uh, or sellers as well. But now is going to be the opportunity to write out insulting offers. So uh, that's my perspective. Joe, what do you think? I mean, that is true. Like I did receive a lot of offers that were way, way lower than what we had gotten originally. Now, this is a one off. Uh, a lot of what John said is even now trickling outside of Niagara. Uh, I do have another listing in Niagara that's a rental. We'll talk about that in a minute, though. But um, I had a bunch of examples, I think, prepped and, and memorized. Even in Toronto, we've seen some houses just within the year purchased in February for million eight million nine and now today have sold for about a million five million four uh so we are just experiencing um a little bit of sticker shock uh the market it is a buyer's market now there's not that many i mean there is buyers out there in certain price ranges looking in certain areas um so if you're in one of those locationed areas where uh property is still hot congratulations if you are not a lot of the market that's happening right now is starting to turn down and but that does give a lot of opportunity uh for brand new buyers 
Absolutely. Absolutely. The opportunities are there now. Now, the other thing is if you're selling your house and you don't have to sell your house, like don't be afraid because now is not the time to actually panic because reality out there is that um, you only sell if you absolutely have to and you have absolutely no choice. Now, I would suggest don't assume you have to sell if it's a finance related issue. If it's a finance related issue, talk to your mortgage broker and talk to them way before you're in trouble because there may be solutions out there for you that may help you avoid this. Now, if you have to sell because you have to move, hey, that's fine. What, would you uh, sell in the spring or sell now? I personally think, and I'm going to get Joe to correct me if I'm wrong, I personally think I would wait to about March. I think things will have uh, leveled through at that point. So if you're going to think of selling and you have to sell, sell right away. Sell before we even get to December. Get it on the market right away. If you can hold on and you're not in a rush, then I would list in the uh, spring. And that's my opinion. Now, spring, I would say end of February, March, that's around the time I would get it. I wouldn't wait till May because uh, there's a miscalculation out there where people think that the spring market is in May and it's usually March and April. So at that point in time, that's what I would suggest. Now, Joe, what do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you have to sell, get it on right now. Um, come December time, it's only actually going to get worse. Just historically speaking, uh, November, end of November, December, it's usually a complete buyer's market. It doesn't matter what market you're in. Um, and people that are, they don't really want to sell during the holiday season. So if they're on the market, it's because they have to. Um, so don't get caught in that. Um, yeah, the best time is uh, we start listing end of February, early March. Uh, usually after March break is the best time. Uh, more people are kind of ready for that major transaction. Um, so yeah, if you need to do something, do it in March. Um, but if you if you can hold off, if you can't, then get it on the market ASAP. Right. So absolutely. What I want to do is get into a bit of the numbers right now. I'm going to go with the GTA market stats, overall market stats, according to Treb. Now, the average price out there, the sale price is $1.132 million, which is about 5.9% lower than what it was last year. Now, at the same time, we have 4.21 months of inventory, which is why I say we're touching into the buyer's market. Typically, if we have less than three months of inventory, we're in a seller's market. Four months is roughly three to four months roughly i would say is roughly a balanced market we're still kind of theory on that edge of balanced and buyer market but we're heading towards that buyer's market so you're on the edge of that right now so with that being said the average days on market is 18 days on market which is a lot more because if you remember prior to all the interest rate increases we had things selling within seven days. And the truth be told, the only reason it took seven days was because we were holding offers. And if you weren't doing that, it would have actually sold quicker. There's been homes that sold the same day that it went on the market. Now, you know, a few years ago when I sold in the heat of the market, I sold my condo literally in five hours and I got more than I wanted. So, um, but we're not in that market anymore, as I said. So now number of sales is 58,367. And that's year to date, which is a almost a 14% drop from where it was. So as you can tell, the traffic has slowed down, but at the same time, there's still activity. So it's not like there's zero activity. Again, it's like I was saying before, this is not a time to panic, but more, more importantly, you become very strategic. This is the time I would consult with your professional realtor, mortgage broker, as well as lawyer. See what's going on with them and see what their advice is. Consider where your needs are at this time and then decide where you should go, you know, what moves you should make. It goes back to what I said earlier. If you're not in a rush to sell and you're not in a panic to sell, you have no emergencies, 
then I would just wait. And if you can hold on, hold on for as long as possible. My personal view has always been the buy and hold strategy. I've never been about flipping. I've never been about selling. I would uh, just hold on to as long as you you, ha you can hold on to it. Um, real estate on average doubles every 10 years. And that's average. Again, past performance doesn't equate to future performance, but we're going by averages of the last 40 to 80 years. So I'm going to say it's a pretty safe bet. So with that being said, if you don't have to sell, stay where you are. You write it out. I mean, many people are still writing that 3% mortgage rate and uh, will for a little while. You can plan accordingly after that. Maybe there's an opportunity to extend amortization. Again, I'm going to let Leo get into the uh, whole mortgage side of it rather than doing his you know, presentation for him. <laughs> so with that being said, in terms of the buy and sell, again, if you're in a good area, if you have an investment property, now let's be this clear. If you have an investment property and that's going to be uh, what is your financial burden, that I might actually say that might be the opportunity to unload the investment property. And my reasoning is that if you have a home mortgage and you have a, uh, an investment property, if it is in a negative cash flow at this moment, that might be the time to unload that again in the spring. I would unload that, use that money to pay down your own mortgage if possible. And at that point in time, that's sort of the way to write it out for now. Other than that, again, plenty of opportunity. If you qualify to buy more, I suggest you actually do that. So going back to uh, the market stats, the homes I gave you was the average price. Condos are actually down 11%. Average Toronto condo is 708. Um, 1,296 sales, which is down 3.1%. So I think you got the uh, gist of what's been going on. Everything's been dropping. Now, a lot of people are still waiting for that crash. I'm here to tell you that was the crash. We are pretty much there. I think we're pretty leveled. It may drop 5%, may raise 5%. I, again, don't panic sell, don't buy, panic buy. What you can do, another opportunity is, if you want to get into the market more and you want to invest, because there's going to be a lot of people who can't afford to buy right now, and they're saying, how am I supposed to get in the market? Get into joint ventures. Joe, what are your position on joint ventures? Um, if you absolutely need to do it, um, it, it could be a way to enter into the market and uh, help with your bottom line. Um, they can be fruitful in nature. Uh, if, if you, my, my ideology is get into the market any way you can. So if you have to get in with a joint venture, absolutely get into it with a joint venture. Why not? Absolutely agree with that. And I think that's exactly where we are at this moment in time, where we might have to consider buying properties with people we know, getting into the market, building up equity, and then using that equity in, uh, say, five years from now, when we get some sort of a rebound, we could uh, use that equity and uh, rebuild and go out on your own at that point. I think the worst thing you can do is keep money in the bank. I mean, I still believe what I always said, cash is trash. And um, I don't mean that having cash is trash at all, but leaving it in the bank does nothing for you, where if you have it in an investment long term, it'll be uh, better off. And I still think real estate is primarily the best option you have. I would not gear toward away from real estate, in my opinion. Um, if you have to do it by joint venture, that would be the way to do it. Another opportunity is syndicated uh, investments, which is you buy with a uh, an investment fund. And there's a lot of people that do the syndications out there. It is uh, almost like you're investing in your uh, mutual funds or something. It's the same kind of thing. You're investing with these companies who are a different kind of fund, and it's real estate fund. You can use your RSPs and mutual funds, actually, towards those investments. You're still in the real estate market. You're through a third-party company that does that. And um, out of the States, as an example, they have BlackRock. BlackRock is one of the big uh, names out there. So if you look them up, you'll kind of understand what I'm saying there. It is 
a tool and avenue to be able to uh, still be able to be in the real estate market without actually primarily owning your own. It kind of takes away the need to worry about property management. It gives you more opportunities and leverage. Now, the downside and the con of that is going to be the fact that you're giving your money into a fund and you're relying on someone else to manage it. If you can uh, be okay with not having 100% complete control, then uh, that might be an avenue for uh, you to invest in as well. So, Joe, what do you think about syndications? Once again, same same ideology from before. If any way to get into the market, it's a good time uh, always to get into the market if you need to. Um, you don't always have to like rush into anything, but if, if you need a place to live, if you're a first-time buyer, if, if you're in any of those situations where it's like, I need a home, I would like to start investing, I would like my money to start working for me and not for the bank, um, that is another avenue to absolutely look into. It's not for everybody. I know a lot of people that can't give up even a percent of control, uh, but even if you go to the bank, you're giving up just a little bit of control. Uh, so it's always worth looking at other options. Absolutely. Now, Joe, here's another thing I want to ask you about, right? Where someone who wants to invest, they have an opportunity. Maybe they got uh, 50 grand. They're going to do the joint venture with somebody else who has just another 50 grand. Now, where, what areas would you suggest that people invest in? Like, like there's different premises, right? Like prime example, I'm gonna, where I'm going to go with this is Niagara right now is hurting. Mm -hmm. Like you think Niagara would be a great uh, opportunity or you think there's better opportunities elsewhere? Um, so yeah, if you want to start looking into uh, areas that are getting hit a lot harder and you want to start buying that up, that's absolutely great. But I would like to touch on this renting market right now. Rent is hurting. Um, it's impossible to get in front of a tenant board. If you have an issue, good luck. Um, people aren't paying rent right now because everything's so expensive. Whoa, 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 Joe, we're supposed to be telling people to invest in real estate, not get away from it. No, no. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, trust me. But waves it's always in waves uh good times happen bad times happen it is what it is i'm just saying what i'm seeing right now um but um to the point i was going at um is also go go where uh people appreciate you go to where people would, would love to rent where you are go somewhere tropical well, joe i appreciate you are you gonna buy me a house i wish i could <laughs> <laughs> um go look outside of canada maybe even look to the states look uh so there's some houses there that are like a hundred thousand dollars and they're they treat their landlords correctly john so, you have anywhere you would recommend so you're telling people basically do not buy in ontario yeah. Have you been listening to my podcast? I have. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're just replicating what I've been saying. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, actually, no, it's not a kidding. I actually have been saying that, but that's regardless. Yeah, you're right. There's an opportunity investing outside of Canada. But let's look at the majority of people who want to start off, right? Now, if, if you're an experienced investor, you have multiple <clears throat> properties, maybe that's the time to venture out. The very first property I would not recommend buying outside of Ontario because you kind of need some form of experience with it and know what you're kind of facing. So what I suggest and where I was going to go, where I was going with this is that even though I said Niagara is hurting, that's exactly the place I would not buy. I would buy closer to the city because at the same time, most people need to, you know, locate close to work. And it's usually closer to the city. The more it retains value, the more, you know, longevity that, it, it, you know, it always holds value better. It has less of the fluctuations than outside the city. Now, if you can't afford in the city, I'm not saying don't buy outside of the city, but if you're looking for your first property and you want to be localized and close, look where the transportation is. Now, an opportunity, if you can't afford Toronto, 
go to Etobicoke. You can't afford Etobicoke, go to Mississauga. If you can't afford Mississauga, go to Oakville. Uh, skip Oakville. Oakville is more expensive than all of them. Go straight to, Bur- to Burlington. If you can't afford Burlington, then go to Hamilton. And actually right now, that's what I want to touch upon. Hamilton, Ontario has some new projects coming out that is a great opportunity. And the reason I say that the Ham- Hamilton has the opportunity is because they're building the GO station there. So the transportation is going to be pretty much you, you know, better than expected, right? You're going to have all the opportunities if you have to go to Toronto using the GO station. You're going to have all the opportunities there. It has all the amenities there. It has pretty much, Hamilton is really just the west side of Toronto. It's pretty much got everything that Toronto has, just more upcoming versus Toronto's already built and established. So transportation was the issue and they're kind of solving that. Yes, it's a few years out, which is the reason to get in today. Because once it is completed, the uh, market will be saturated and it will be uh, pretty much peaked. And at that point in time, not that you missed it opportunity, but I think the best opportunity is now. Joe, what do you think about Hamilton? I love Hamilton. I'm from Hamilton. I invest in Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton's great. Um, Yeah, with with the goal line going through, with everything happening, uh, with more infrastructure coming, there's a ton of builders out there building now. Uh, if you're looking for new builds, if you're looking for something that's a little cheaper sometimes, not all the time, um, that's an avenue also to look into. Um, just about anywhere in Hamilton, everything is um, establishing. Everything is getting a little better, a little bigger. Um, we're even noticing even near the universities um, because Hamilton has a huge university connected to a major hospital. Um, there's a lot of great investment for student housing out there that I highly, highly recommend. I always recommend student housing. Um, it's always a solid, sound investment. McMaster isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Well, in terms of student housing, there's, that's very unique because when it comes down to student housing, there's pros and cons to that too. Mm -hmm. And one of the benefits is because you kept telling people are not gonna get paid rent, I think (laughs) I'm gonna have to address this, is that one of the benefits of having student housing is that the very worst case scenario is you have these people these people, uh, for nine months at the very least, because once school is over, they're willing to go home and nobody's gonna stick around after that, especially if they, you know, so at that point in time, you have that opportunity where that uh, landlord and tenant, you know, effect isn't gonna be as bad. Now, the con side of that is going to be that with the fact that they're students, they're going to have a lot of parties. So there might be some repairs that you have to factor into that. Yeah, but I mean, that's the beauty of it. You factor that into your costs when you buy it. You you have to do a lot of homework. I won't say this is for everybody, but I, I will say I have a lot of uh, clients that invest strictly in student housing and they do well, even in this uh, interesting time that we're in. Um, it's, but yes, uh, they are a little more expensive at the time at the start, but they do end up, uh, they're, they're very rewarding, I would say. Absolutely. Now, I want to remind everybody that's watching online, whether you're watching through YouTube, whether through a StreamYard link that you registered with, whether you're watching on Facebook, LinkedIn, or wherever, if you type in the comments onto the page, we will see them and be able to answer any questions you may have. So don't be shy. Feel free to send us questions at any time, whether it's now, presentation later, anytime throughout the show. Just want to remind you that. And I just want to thank you for uh, joining us on the uh, live you know, stream and uh, yeah, Joe. So, <laughs> so anyways, um, where I was going to go with this is that, okay, so we touched upon the opportunity with student housing. Sure. You're absolutely right. Like there, it could be great opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything you'd be avoiding in this market? 
uh, stretching yourself thin, that would be a good start. Um, I wouldn't be going, um, spending a whole lot of money. Um, but I mean, you have to find out where you're comfortable with. This is where I always highly recommend talking to a mortgage broker, talking to a lawyer. Uh, you know, you have resources at your disposal. Um, it's it's time to brush up on a little bit of your homework, a little mm. bit of your finances. Uh, it's time to learn what's happening, what's going on. It, it's, a, it's a good study period of the market today. Absolutely. Now, what, what, I, what do you tell your clients when they tell you that they're uh, still waiting for the market to crash more before they're ready to buy? Um, I do tell them that it's kind of already happened um, and that uh, it's an absolutely your choice whether you need to invest or not invest. I'm like, I always say you make your money work for yourself. Um, but yeah, you like right now. So a, a correction is between 10 and 20% drop. Uh, anything over 20% is a crash. Um, so we've experienced over 20% drops um, in a lot of the market. Uh, so it's the market's crashed. Will it keep crashing? I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know. But if you can afford, if you're comfortable and you can get into the market, get into the market. Well, here's the other thing I want to touch upon right now. I mean, I know the, uh, I said that the average days on market was 18, mm -hmm. but, um, that's average and really has no relevance or meaning because the reality is I see a lot of home homes on the market now that have been 45 days, 62 days. Um, if we're going back to Niagara, 120 days, mm -hmm. I mean, there could be opportunities there, but again, it goes back to what you said with the rents. If you're uh, short the rent, you know, if rents are uh, <laughs> going to be a problem, you know, over there is going to be where you're going to have it because let's be honest, if there's a lot of things on the market, there's a lot of availability, there's going to be a lot of problems, right? So it goes back to being close to the city. But where I'm going with this is that the average seller is going to be uh, expecting to be on the market and selling their home and expecting it to go within 30 days, you know, be ready to pack and go. And they still see the ads out there, pack before you call us and stuff like that. And where I'm going with this wasn't meant as an insult to anybody. It was meant more of the fact that the messaging has to change today. What should sellers expect when they list their home in today's market? Oh, sellers uh, shouldn't expect a miracle. Um, you should. It's There's a lot of sticker shock out there, people. Um, I, I've walked into an interview where the neighbor sold last month for a million one. And I had to sit there and tell them there's 30 houses around you. They're all listed for 900,000 and they've been on the market for 60 days and not moving, no activity, no interest. So I had to go in there and say, your house maybe is worth $850,000 today. Um, so we we're at that point where expectations have to drop just a little bit if you need to move. That's why we're stressing the need, if you need. Um, it, it's, it's not pretty out there for some people. Some people are, they maybe bought for a little more than they can sell for right now. Um, but it is what, it's what happened in the market. Well, Joel, you know what? I had talked to a guy out of Hamilton and we're going to call him Bob Smith. And Bob Smith said, he's going to get me 980 for the house. And you just told me 850. Correct. What would you say to that? How, how can Bob Smith get me 980? Uh, I will tell you, Bob Smith is promising you the world and I will tell you, and I will show you the stats. I will show you the market. I will present to you everybody else's and what's happening. I will show you that things are selling for a lot less. Um, it's, it's my homework. I, I'm not here to waste your time. I'm here to do, I'm here to take the emotion out of it. I'm here to show you this is what's going to happen. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I've had to play Grim Reaper for a little while now already. Uh, most agents, if you are new, you maybe haven't experienced this yet where you've walked into somebody's house 
and had had to lower their expectations for a long while we've gone up we've been able to tell people hey um you know your house is worth three hundred thousand more than what you paid for it now we're going the other way um it is the market uh, markets go up and down up and down uh, even in stock any other investments no investment is uh hundred percent sound if you're playing short term, but long term, I mean, investments do tend to hold and retain better value. Absolutely. Now, what I want to touch upon here is for people getting in the market, what is the best investment to make? Like we have condos, we have townhouses, we have detached. Um, I, I, I like uh, family entry homes. I like I like the smaller homes, um, but I usually townhouses and and like small detached. So I think that's where most of it's the uh, most of the value is retained. But do you think it's realistic for people to be able to afford to buy a small detached house today? At this moment in time, um, it depends on the area. Uh, it can be. It depends on what you need. Depends on what you want. Um, I personally love semis. Semis are always a solid way to go. They're always uh, a decent size, uh, and they're usually the price point is pretty good. Uh, it's usually affordable. Right. Right. Now, again, so touching upon that, if you can't get into a house or a semi mm -hmm. right now, I will go in a joint venture. I'm going to be straight up here. I think that um, if you need a house to live in, sure, go get a condo if that's what you can afford. That's fine. Right. Because it's better to be in the market, like Joe was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. um, if you're doing it for investment purposes, where you're trying to get a rental, my suggestion is do not buy the condo at this moment get into a townhouse, a semi, or a detached, and I think you're better off doing a joint venture with a few of your friends and uh, grouping your money together, pulling it together for that rental property. To live in, I just forget what I just said, buy whatever you can afford to live in. That's my perspective. Joe, do you disagree? No, not at all. Um, it, yeah, always, if you can, um, buy... Um, Uh, if you can buy um, a house, uh, great. Just buy, if you're if you're investing, uh, look for what's going to retain value the best. If you have to live somewhere, it's it's your personal house. Buy something that's going to make your life as as good as possible. Fantastic, awesome, awesome, awesome. So, with that being said, what are you finding people? What what is the biggest question you're getting from your clients these days? Um, the biggest question I'm actually getting right now is, can they really raise my interest rate to 6%? Um, that's the biggest question I'm getting. Um, but the other question obviously is, is prices going to continue to drop? Um, and uh, when I deal with a lot of first-time buyers, actually, it's, can I afford this? Um, and that is where you need multiple, like I always highly recommend talking to a mortgage broker uh, for affordability and everything like that. Um, they will have better knowledge than we ever will. Uh, I specialize in real estate and I and I always am going to push someone to make sure they're with a professional who's going to give them the right advice for mortgages. Um, but other than that, yeah, like it's what you can do. Absolutely. Now, what would you say to someone who's bought a home and they bought their home in the peak of the market and they've watched their home pretty much get obliterated? Um, I would say hold on if you can. Um, if you sell, you, you lose. That's at the end of the day, if you can afford to keep it and you can afford to stay there longer term, hold on to it. Let's see what you can do. Um, unless you need to move laterally, because right now, if you're selling for less, everybody else is selling for less. So if you need to move and you can move laterally, sure, do what you need to do. But if you can't move anywhere and you're happy where you are, stay put.
uh, do what you can do, see where you can uh, see where you can get more fun, see if you can do something if you need help. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a very interesting time. I always strongly believe real estate rebounds. Um, it, historically, it always does. Um, we come in highs, we come in lows, just like every other market in the world. Absolutely. And now just to give somebody a context that uh, I pretty much grew up in a real estate family and the way that my parents were landlords and investors, they had properties out there. We collected rents and we've watched the uh, ups and downs go throughout the market. I would say since I was five years old till about, I think it was around 33 years old where we sold my parents' properties and um, somewhere around that area. So, and just to give you an indication, over the years, they've pretty much gone by the stat that I gave that they double every 10 years on average. I mean, it's never, everyone expects it to be like this. And the reality is it's this. So it really is timing in the market. Um, and really that's what it comes down to. So anybody panicking, there's no needs, need to panic. It just means you have to hold on a little longer. And other than that, I'm going to, you know, see Roman, you know, if you have any questions, Roman, shoot one out now, and I'll gladly enter it before we get on with the next guest. Two, one. I guess, <laughs> I guess we're good. All right. So now, Joe, yes. any last words? Um, for everybody who has bought and you're scared of this market, um, we understand. We're with you. Um, talk to us. Let us reassure you. Let us be honest with you. Um, you know, uh, let us help you. Uh, we're not there. To, to be evil or mean, we're there to assist. Uh, realtors are, you know, we're always there to provide information. Um, and yeah, I, we're, we're, we're here to help. Contact us. Joe, I got one last question for you. Yes, sir. You're a realtor and you charge too much commission. Yes, sir. Do you give out discounts? I do not. Jeez, so you're just going to take the public constantly. <laughs> um, you know what? For some friends and family, I'll be a little nicer. Um, but most of the time, I do a lot of work. I do a lot of advertising. I put 120% of myself into every deal that I do. There's a lot of hidden work. There's a lot of hidden costs in my job. I spent, I think, almost $3,000 in advertising for one property. Um, and my commission wasn't that big. Uh, so, I mean, sometimes we have to do what we have to do. And... Uh, Sometimes, you know, some realtors are worth that little bit extra um, and sometimes you get what you pay for. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that's one thing I want to touch upon, right? A lot of times the conception out there is the fact that we're just making so much money and we have no expenses. Reality is the uh, commission structure out there is really split between two people. Then there's the brokerage splits and all that. But anyways, I mean, I was just making a wise crack, Joe. I want to say thank you so much for participating. John, always my friend. Any questions that come up, feel free to ask. We'll be here. Absolutely. And we can, uh, you can always reach out to us, uh, you know, throughout the brokers. Joe is with uh, a colleague of mine at Royal Page Signatures. So you can always call the office number at 905-568-2121. Ask for Joe Sucura and then uh, they will put you in touch with them. Joe, thanks again. We're going to get the next guest coming up, which is going to be Mr. Leo Sally. That was surprising as well. I was debating that. No. <laughs> Leo, Leo, Leo. How's it going, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Fantastic, man. It's been uh, quite some time. It's been a while, yeah. Yeah, we've been, uh, I've known Leo pretty much, I'd say at least 15 years now. And, um, you know, for uh, full disclosure, I've gotten my mortgages through Leo. So Thank I'm excited to have you here. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's get your perspective on what the heck is going on. What the heck is going on? That's a really loaded question. Absolutely. Uh, obviously, it all started in inflation numbers. 
when the inflation went up in 2021, the government and the Bank of Canada ignored it. Not just the Bank of Canada, actually, even the US, the Federal Reserve, everybody ignored it. And they were like, it's going to get better. But it actually went worse in 2022, and they had to do something. So they usually what they do when the inflation goes up, they, they increase interest rates, demand goes down, and then it's, it's a cycle. So that's the only weapon they have is to increase the interest rate. So in 2022, when the inflation started going up and the numbers were out of control, they started to increasing it and increasing it aggressively, like to the point of 1% at one time, which is really, really big. Uh, we usually used to a quarter percent every time, right, up or down. But they did a one percent at one point, and they did a half a percent, and, and there was a big, big uh, increases. Uh, and the whole point is inflation, because the Bank of Canada rather see recession. They will take recession every day over uh, over inflation. Which is what I want to touch upon. Let's get into that. Why in the world would our banks want to see a recession over inflation? What is so dangerous about inflation? Inflation, first of all, it, it's a very complicated question because that's for an economist, not a mortgage broker. <laughs> let, let's be honest here. But it, it, the, the simple answer is inflation has a, a lot of effect on the pay, paycheck of everybody and everybody felt it, right? And if you don't curb it under control, it... it it deterred the, the economy in the long term even worse than the uh, the interest rate. Right. Absolutely. Now, the big question I have with mortgages, I mean, I know the answers, but I'm going to give it, ask you based on, um, you know, for the viewers, which is that there's a big misconception out there with uh, with the uh, with the Bank of Canada raising their interest rate. Everyone thinks all rates are going up or down based on the Bank of Canada. Now, there's some lack of truth there i think there's only one rate that goes up and down based on that that's the variable correct that's the variable the fix doesn't necessarily go with the bank of canada but also am influenced by it it's it's uh, it's more of uh the fixed interest rate is is uh based on the bond yes in the market right and the bond is based on speculation it's it's uh like wall street or you know bay street that the rate will go up and down based on the speculation of the investors, what they think the Bank of Canada would do. If they think the Bank of Canada is going to cut rates, the bond, uh, the bond yield will uh, will, will, uh, will go down. But if they think it's the Bank of Canada is going to increase rate, it's, it's going to also have the effect that they increase the fixed rate. So with, with that happening, even though it's not directly affected at the moment, it does have something to do with it. It's connected not directly, it's indirect con uh, connection. Right, right, which makes total sense there. Now, that's the other thing, right? So with the bond rate going up and down and all that is, you know, changing with it, and the Bank of Canada rate has been pretty steady, but when it goes up and down, it's affecting more than just the mortgage. I'm not sure if everybody realizes that. It's also affecting stuff like line of credit, and um, does it affect credit cards at all? Some credit cards are variable, but majority of them are fixed. Yeah, so it's yeah. mainly line of credits that are being line of credit. And line of credit for businesses, that's the main thing. Most businesses, you see uh, big businesses and small businesses run on a line of credit. So you see a lot of, uh, like even chains in the malls or whatever, they run on, on creditors and they have line of credit. So all that interest rate, when they increase, is going to affect 
the bottom line. So how much they're going to pay on interest every month. And that affects how much, how many people they're going to hire. Uh, what are their, their expenses? And they're going to think really, really hard about expanding. Because when, when the interest rates are going up, one of the things they want to do is slow down expanding. So if, if somebody has a business and they want to expand, you'd be like, it's too expensive right now. Let me wait. So they want to curb that. Yeah, absolutely. And that is true, right? Because uh, there's always the uh, business operating line of credit, which I have one. And it's like, damn you guys for raising your rates. Damn you, damn you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you're right. Now, that also is going to be uh, an effect with jobs, like you said. So that's why we're seeing an influx of layoffs. But there's also, what I've noticed out there, there's going to be, and I guess this is more of an economist perspective than a mortgage broker perspective, but there's been um, a lot of layoffs, but there's been a lot of new jobs as well. So it's kind of not going the way expected. Yeah, so the the job report came out and it had uh, jobs going up part-time. Part-time, that's it. The, the losing is the, the full-time. So if you look at the full-time, month-to-month, we actually lost jobs. If you look at the part-time, there's increase. So there's where the difference is. It's, it looks like the numbers are overall dropped a little bit. But if, if you look at the in details, you see more increase in the part-time jobs, which is not as good as increasing in the, in the uh Right, which in makes sense. Yeah. But which is another indicator that we're heading towards uh, a recession. Some, some expect it to be extreme. Some expect it to be a uh, mild one. But we'll see, I guess. Well, here's the thing, right? Everyone keeps saying soft landing, right? I personally believe we have been through this recession for the last six months. I think that uh, with the la- with the 3% interest that people have still have, not everybody's uh, have seen it or affected by it, but I believe that it's, still, that it's already been in effect. Um, a, lot of, uh, st- a lot of stores are reporting uh, quarterly uh, drops in sales, and restaurants are now uh, operating at 50% of what they used to be. And so I kind of believe that we've all been there. But then again, this is my perspective and not necessarily means that I'm right or wrong. It, it depends on who you ask, but in, in overall, we're not there yet. We, we go in that direction. There is a factor there that's kind of slowing the recession effect in a way is immigration. Immigration numbers in Canada are high. Yes. And what is not counted even the... Uh, the work per- and work permits and student permits, those are big numbers too. Those are not counted as part of the Canadian population, but they are big numbers. I think this year, if I'm not mistaken, I think about 600,000. And all those people need a place to live and need to eat. So all of those people drive the inflation a little bit higher because the demand is increasing as well because they need to eat, they need a place to stay. Uh, but also they're helping with the, uh, with the uh, un- underemployment issue because they were uh, short of... Uh, labor and those international students cover that shortage in a way right which brings up another point right because there's a lack of housing and with a a shortage of housing even with everything that's going on i mean we know affordability is a big issue but what's happening in terms of new construction and um you know you know finances and stuff right i mean there's been a few newcom buildings that have uh pretty much took a dump and now there's also financing issues out there so What's the scoop on that? What's your perspective there? Um, the interest rate also, that's another negative effect to it. It's slowing uh, the building process. So a lot of the builders waiting for the right time. Now, uh, labor ex- is expensive. Uh, materials is expensive. Interest rate is expensive because they need to borrow money also to build. And on the top of all that, the housing market is much lower than their expectation. So a lot of builders are not building as fast as they used to be. Actually, this year, 
uh, we built less houses in Canada than in 2020 during COVID. That's disgusting. Just the reality. It is true, though. <laughs> now, which brings up the point here, right? Now, what is your perspective in terms of a financing perspective, not in a real estate perspective, but in terms of a financing perspective, what is your perspective on new con building? Should people be buying new construction now or should they be waiting? Uh, depends on the price. So if the builders are selling realistic, because some builders, same as some sellers, they're still living on you know January or February 2022. And they pricing their properties on that market, which doesn't exist anymore. So if the builder is realistic and listing properties based on now and the market price right now, and it's trusted, well-known builder, then it's not. It's actually not a bad option. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to save money, and hopefully by the time it actually closes, the interest rates will be lower and it will be beneficial because you bought in this, uh, in this high market. But if, if the builder, especially condos, I've been seeing a lot of issues with condos and condos not closing or uh, there's a project, big project in uh, Kitchener, uh, big tower there, and they just went to receivership and it was almost done. I think 85 or 95, 5%, uh, 5% done. Damn. Yeah. So, and that's a whole other issue. People put their down payment in there and, and all of that, and now it's not even closing and they're battling to get the money back. Well, that's the thing, right? So if it goes into receivership, especially at 85% done, what happens to the deposit? Well, Terion has a deposit warranty, I believe, till 20, 20% of the deposit. Uh, and the rest is dependent on the contract. So depends on the contract they signed with the builder. If that account, they put them in an account as a deposit and a security for the loans, they might be uh, part of the receivership to pay the, the loans. They might be protected. I'm not sure what their contract is. Um, I was just using an example of right, thing. right, yeah, not closing. Now it brings up the point again. Now, like going to, you're right. There could be some new opportunities out there if people are um, looking at pricing today. Now, if the builders are still pricing today and stuff, right? Like things could still fluctuate. And with that being said, how can like assuming that the new cons, you know, price properly for today's market, how concerned are you with uh, the fluctuating prices on closing? Just say in four years from now. That's again, nobody knows. But if the interest rates start dropping as the expectation by next year, um, automatically the prices are going to go up again. And the reason I'm saying that because we still have the underlying issue with uh, with undersupply of housing in Canada. As I just mentioned, at least six hundred thousand uh, international students and work permits plus immigration. I believe uh, the target for next year, twenty twenty three, it's a million students. I believe that the, the target from the government of Canada and about 400 or 500,000 new immigrant Canadian, like permanent resident, that's about a million and a half people. Yes, million of them are temporary, but still, all of those need place to live and that's going to push the demand even more on housing. So I believe as soon as the interest rate drop, the demand is going to go up again. Yeah, that, that makes absolute sense, right? Like that's assuming that the interest rate drops. Now, I have a personal opinion that I don't think we're going to ever see interest rates, or at least not for a very, very long time back at 3%. I personally feel they'll probably level off between four and a half and five, but that's just an opinion. And I can't predict the future. Like we said, none of us have a crystal ball, but that's opinion and my own speculation. What are your thoughts? Um, the expectation is between three and a half to four percent, like around the three and a half to four percent, settle about in the threes, uh, most likely. 
Uh, that's even the prediction of uh, Benjamin Tal, actually one of his uh, the people I follow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good economist. Uh, yes, and uh, that's what he predicts because if they don't, um, the housing market will get in trouble in end of 2024-2025 when the renewals start happening, the people with the interest rate of 2 or 3%, and they're struggling already. If they come come the renewal, it comes at 5 and 6%, and that's a big portion of the Canadian market will have renewal in those dates. That's going to have a, a very negative effect on uh, on the housing market and the economy overall. Absolutely, I agree with you on that. Now, just reminder: if anybody's watching and they have a question, you can submit your question through the comments section, and we will see it and get it and be able to answer it for you. And that could be throughout any of the program, no matter who we're speaking with. If you have a question, just put it out there, and we'll gladly answer it. Now, going to the next point here, there's going to be a lot of renewals coming up, and what? Are the what options do some people have? Like, let's be honest, some people have two point nine three percent as their um, mortgage rate. <coughs> Me uh, and um, <laughs> and on the renewal, we're going to come up and uh, it's going to go up. Uh, by who knows how much where the interest let's rate is? Let's say five or six. We'll say five or six. Yeah. So that three to five or six is going to probably push up the mortgage depending on how much it is by at least a few hundred dollars. Yes. So yes, what happens to that in terms of affordability? What would you tell people to do to prepare for that? So a few things. Reach out to your mortgage broker. Depends on the offer. When you get the offer, renewal offer, uh, you look at the payment and how much is your monthly payment. Can you afford it? And can you afford it for how long? And if you can afford it, I will take a short term, one or two years. That's my own opinion. Just because if the interest rate drop, you can get a newer rate, unlock it for a longer term, five years or 10 years. Versus if you uh, take a longer term, five years, and then the rate drops, you can't get out of that. And if you do, you pay a hefty penalty. So maybe a short term will be a better solution. Now, if you look at the payment and say that I cannot afford that, there are other solutions. Uh, one of them is refinancing and pushing the amortization back to 30 years. Because most people who have renewals, uh, and they bought with insured mortgage at 25 years. They have at the renewal, they will have 20. Or people who have bought at 20, they still have 15. Uh, if you stretch your mortgage amortization back to 30, your payment will drop drastically. And when that happens, that makes it affordable and you can keep your house and live in it. And also, again, short term, one or two years till the interest rate drop again. And then you can refinance again and, and, uh, and cut down the amortization at that time. If you say like, no, I can afford back to 20, you can bring it back to 20 again. But at the meantime, you can push it to 30 just for affordability, better than losing the house. Because if, if you have the option between affording the house and staying in it, or trying to be like, no, I do want to pay high interest, uh, and you end up losing the house, I will take the, the first option, obviously. Absolutely. That makes sense. Now, we got a question coming up, but before we get to the question, I got another point here that um, if they can't afford the house and they can do the uh, remortgaging part, like you said, um, but they think about it and uh, they don't want to extend to 30, they have a thought of uh, selling the home. What, what would you say to that? What are your perspective? If it's the only, it depends on what is the circumstances. If they want to sell it just because affordability, um, it, I think it's a loss because if you extend to the 30 years, yes, your mortgage now all of a sudden you have 30 years to pay it. It's temporary. One year, two years. First of all, the market will, will bounce and, and, and the value of your home will be better. And then after that short term, the one or two years mortgage you took, 
You can refinance and push it back to 20. You can do lump sum payments. You can do a lot of things to pay the mortgage back. But if you get out of the market, it's very hard to get back in and buy again. Yep. I agree with you. And now that goes back to the saying is that you don't take a uh, a long-term solution for a short-term problem. So now getting into the question from Roman is, what are your thoughts on mobile homes? From my small sample size of inspecting those, I got a pretty bad impression. Mobile homes, uh, from real estate perspective, that's can't really comment on that part. But from financing perspective, they are hard to finance. Uh, first of all, you have to get approved by similar to a condo board. You have to be approved to, uh, to buy the house and they look into your finances and all of that. And most of the time, the land is leased. And yeah. when the land is leased, not all lenders agree to take it because the, uh, the lease could be a short term, could be only five, 10 years, could be 30 years. And then sometimes some lenders will take it. But even if they do, the security is not there as, as a regular house because that mobile home could be moved away from that land and then they have no security on it. So it's very hard to finance them, to be honest. Absolutely. And even from a real estate perspective, I think they are not the greatest solution. Um, they are hard to sell, hard to finance, and there's really no security there and there's no, there's no real uh, long-term perspective there. Now, what happens is if you're on a land lease and your land lease expires, yeah, you might be able to renew if they allow you to renew, but at what price? And at what point in time you just get this whole conundrum that uh, I think that there's too much risk for the reward that's out there. Yeah, and I'm not sure about appreciation too. Is that, do they appreciate well? I'm not sure. I don't think they do appreciate I don't think they do, yeah. right? I mean, let, let's be honest. The way it works out there is if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at investments in terms of appreciation, the uh, detached home appreciates the most. The semi-detached is second. Townhouse and condo appreciates the least out of all of it in that order. And again, if you have to get into the market, don't say, oh, well, I said a condos appreciate the least. Don't get it. You got to live somewhere. So at least you're building equity versus living somewhere, paying rent and building nothing. So if that's your only in, then get in that way. If you have the opportunity to get in somewhere else, then do it. So do what your best option is to build equity. I have personally, I've had many, many homes that uh, and have never lost by holding on to them. So I've always appreciated on all of them. Now, my condos didn't appreciate as much as the houses, but they appreciated and I was still better off. So that's my perspective. Awesome. And now, what would you say to someone who's like in terms of the the affordability out there? What does it take for someone to buy a home today, whether whether it's in Toronto, whether it's west of Toronto, whether it's east of Toronto? whether it's the suburbs, whatever, like someone looking to purchase, what should they be on the lookout for? What should they do to, uh, you know, protect the credit and get ready for the purchase? Because they're just in the starting phase. Save down payment as much as possible. Get rid of any debt, negative debt. I'm talking about credit cards, line of credits. Don't go buy new car. That monthly payment, it adds up. If your down payment is six, $700 on the car, with a new car, sometimes go to eight and more. I've seen even more than a thousand. That takes you out of the pressures right away because your debt service ratio is way, way off already because you have that seven or 800,000 uh, payment. So if you plan on buying a house, buy a used car for now. 
or take a public transit, whatever you need to do to not have that liability. Uh, also for income wise, if you don't have the enough income to, uh, to buy on your own, you can, as you said earlier, buy with a friend, buy with a cousin, buy with a brother or sister, or the guarantor route. Uh, sometimes people, especially young, uh, uh, young people, they can buy and they don't have enough income to buy the house, they have a guarantor. They only have 5% down payment and they can get a guarantor like a, a mom or a dad or older brother or older sister to be the guarantor in the, on the mortgage so they can use their income to qualify them. Now, with having the guarantor, it's very beneficial for, uh, for the buyer because they can buy something usually they won't be able to afford uh, or qualify for because of stress test. But the other part to it for the parents, they don't, or whoever the guarantor is, they don't have the liability of the uh, of the mortgage because their whole, uh, their name is not on the house, it's not on title, so they're not. When and, and they want to buy something else, like want to buy a cottage or something, they don't have the liability of that mortgage attached to their name. Seriously? Yeah, I did not know that. I thought that uh, if you're guaranteeing it, you're giving up your credit. No, there's co-signer and guarantor. So the co-signer, you are, your name and title, and that mortgage is going to show you your credit. And every time you want to buy a house or anything else, that liability of the mortgage, even though you don't live in it, or you say, I'm not paying it, or you're paying half of it, 100% of it, it will be your liability. But guarantor, it doesn't show you your credit, and your name is not on title. That was very informative. Now, brings up another point. Now, I'm going to buy another house, and Leo's going to guarantee it. But six months in, I'm going to decide that I can't pay it. How does that affect you? Like, are you immediately affected or you get contacted with the opportunity to pay before your credit is affected? So two points of that. The guarantor is only immediate family, just so you know, like brother, sister. So Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, uh, the second part of it is the, uh, the credit. Yes, they will contact you. That will be the first thing. They'll contact you. They'll be like, hey, your son or your other. Because that's why they do a family member. Because you don't guarantee somebody else you'll be like, I thought I know them. Like your brother, your sister, your your son, your daughter. So you know what they're going through if they go on something. And, and then they will contact you and they, you will uh, obviously try to help with, with uh, solving the problem. Right. So does it have any negative effect towards your if, credit? If they don't pay or whatever, then yes. No, but if I'm you, saying if they contact you, like I don't pay my bill. Just say whatever. You adopted me. And I don't pay my uh, bill. I missed two payments or whatever, or one payment. And they contact you. Has your credit already been affected? No. Is it, if you make the payment, you're good? No. If you make the payment and there is a remedy, you're fine. If you if there's no remedy, that, that could be a complication for everybody. Yes. Got it. Got it. Got it. So that's, that's easier. Yeah. Now, what happens in that case that I missed the payment and now you decide you want to sell the home? But I don't want to sell it. The, the the banks and lenders in general, they're not in the business of selling homes. That's not their business. No, no, I mean the banks. I'm saying like, like I want to sell. Like I don't want to sell, but you want me to sell. And you're the guarantee. How does the guarantor get it off the? Uh... Oh, uh, that is uh, that's different. That's basically call your lawyer. Yeah, that's basically call your lawyer. That's the lawyer question. <laughs> All right, that's going to be the next question for Antonio. <laughs> so awesome. All right. So, okay, so that's good. That's how guarantees work. And I actually learned something new. I did not know that part. Yeah, like I, I thought it was, you know, two of the same. No. So interesting, interesting. Okay, now, so now you save your money, you save your 5%. Now, if you're going to a joint venture with two people, is 5% still possible? As long as owner occupied. So insured mortgages, which is down payment under 20%, 
and a purchase price under a million. Those are the two defining things for insured mortgages. You cannot insure a mortgage over a million. Over a million. And it has to be owner occupied. Yeah, it has to be owner occupied. So when you say venture, in what sense? So if you buying to invest with 5%, no. No. Uh, if you're buying to live together and it's, the story makes sense, is reasonable, then yes. Okay. And with that being said, now just say, with, with the whole insurance thing, right? Lavi is, you're, you're right, it's under a million. Now, what if, prime example, two people are buying a house, one's going to live in it, one's not going to live in it. Can they still do 5% or they're screwed? Yes, no, they can. As long as not one person's living yeah, in it. Yeah, but the other one who's not living in it, it opens another can of form, which is uh, do, do they have a place to live? If not, there's something called shelter cost added to, to the liabilities. Because if you're not living in that house, you're living somewhere else, you're paying rent somehow. So they add a shelter cost to the liability. Even if they're living with their parents? Even with their parents. Usually it's a minimal with the parents, but they still they still add a shelter cost. Well, there you go. Because most adults, when they stay with their parents, they pay some form of rent. Maybe not much, but you're paying 500 800 or something, not the actual rent. Right. That makes sense. So, okay. So that, that makes sense. Now, now I'm going to get into a little bit of the gray area. Well, it's not gray area. It's really the wrong side of the track is that what happens because this is common too, and I've seen this before, where somebody makes the claim to the mortgage broker that they're going to be moving in. And then when the house closes, they do not move in. I don't know. <laughs> as long as, l- listen, if, if, if you tell me you're moving in, uh, I trust your attend that you're actually moving in. And, and you can tell with people. And you trust their attend that they're moving in. And then you tell the story because it's, it's all about the story. You, the, the, the client will tell me their story. I convey the story back to the lenders. And if everybody believes that they're moving in, then it's, it's no problem. After closing, I'm not going to knock on their door and be like, hey, did you move in or not? And neither do the lenders. But we we do the whole transaction based on them actually moving in. And, and that's the expectation to be uh, to move to be moving in. Now, if they move in and then somehow the, the, the lender find uh, an ad on Kijiji or something that you're listing that specific property up uh, for rent and wasn't wasn't disclosed, disclosed they might have the, they have the right to call the mortgage. So you 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 breach the contract, and they can call the mortgage and say like, nope, we can uh, call the mortgage, get your own other mortgage because you didn't disclose that. So those things. Uh, so there's always that risk. So moral of the story is don't make a claim that you're not going to actually do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, absolutely great. So okay, so five percent is the minimum. The insurance cost. How does that work? The insurance because if you put in five percent. And just say 5%, I'm going to use a million just because that's the easy math. 5% of a million is 50 grand. Now, do you have to have the insurance cost over and above the 50 grand or do you deduct it from the 50 grand? Yes. So the, ins- the, the down payment works differently from the first 500, only 5%. Anything above 500 is 10%. Got it. So let's say you're buying for 700,000. The first 50 is 25,000. First 500, you mean, but yeah. Yes, the 200 after to make it to 700, 10% each. So that's another 20,000. So for 700,000, the minimum down payment is 45. Got it. Not 35. Got it. So does that mean the, uh, so that 45, is the insurance included in that? Or no, to, no. no. So, so that's just the down payment. The insurance is added, the insurance premium is added to 
to the mortgage. That. So if you're paying less than between five and ten percent, under ten percent, the premium is about four percent uh, added to the mortgage. If it's ten to fifteen, three point one, and I believe between fifteen and twenty is two point eight. Uh, added to the mortgage, all that you don't pay it up front. It's added to the mortgage, and you, you which means you're basically money. losing equity in it, in a way. But uh, it's a solution because you only have five percent. So Absolutely, they're taking, they're taking all the risk. The only thing you would have to pay on that is the HST. That is something you pay up front on uh, uh, on closing date and with the with the lawyer. You have to pay HST on that. HST on the on the. Uh, Premiums, insurance in the insurance premium on the insurance premiums okay, yeah so got if it. your insurance premium is twenty thousand added there you have to pay the hsd on that which i believe only eight percent yeah only eight percent all right now again with the market um being the way it is and uh and mortgages are being as hard as they are it's um what are your what what where should a person be like when a person wants to buy what should they expect today because approval rates are going to go down clearly and so how would a person get in how can they make it for again joint ventures a possibility where i'm trying to go with this is that's uh your perspective on maybe if there's uh can you here let me just ask you the straight up question want to buy a home i only qualify with an a lender for three hundred thousand i have a hundred thousand dollars down that's four hundred thousand the house is five hundred thousand can I get a second mortgage with a private lender? Will that screw me up for the A lender? No, because uh, the regulation change of B, uh, B20 a few years ago, they don't allow that anymore. There used to be some lenders, they allow you 10% yourself and then 10% private, and they will do the 80. Uh, not anymore. That's not uh, that's not allowed anymore. It's, it's just, if, if it's insured, obviously you're paying the, uh, the down payment. If it's not insured, um, you have to come up with uh, with the twenty percent, and then if, as I said, if you sorry, uh, I, ma- I meant it on the premise that they had the twenty percent. I know my math didn't work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I understand. Even if they have the twenty percent, uh, having the second uh, mortgage behind, most most lenders will will tell you no, unless if you're doing private and 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 uh, another private. But just lenders always don't want a second mortgage at the time of uh, of the purchase. Right. So basically, some you know, some they might agree if it's up to eighty. Some. It's it's a, a very complicated situation. I wouldn't I wouldn't touch. I would try to find uh, somebody else. Try to find somebody else. Yeah. Okay. And what I mean by some, it's not really a straight mortgage. So there is a company now. Uh, I forget the name of it. Uh, Outborough, I think it's called. And it's basically doing what the what the government of Canada doing in a different way. So if you're paying 20%, there was few certain lenders right now only. They give you a percentage of the down payment. So if you have only 5 or 10%, they give you the other 10%. They yes. The, to, so you, are, you have the 20, but they're not a second mortgage. They're not entitled. They're your partner, basically. Right? And, uh, and that way, you, you can buy that house, you qualify, and you get it, and you get in. But they are your partner with that percentage. So if the if they let's say the down payment is a uh, hundred thousand, yeah, you paid twenty and they paid eighty. Right. So now they have eighty percent of that uh, of that down payment. When you sell, they will have also eighty percent of the equity that built up on it. Ah, uh, so if you bought the house for four hundred thousand. And pretend the interest rate was zero, just for math's sake, mm-hmm. and you sell it for uh, five hundred thousand. 
you're pretty much going to get your twenty thousand plus the twenty thousand back, and they and they're going to get basically eighty percent on the appreciation only. But whatever hundred thousand. Yeah, but if you whatever you paid off the principal, that's yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why I said use the zero just for yes arguments. Yeah. And it's like so you sold for five hundred. There's a hundred thousand yeah. so dollars. It's not an ideal situation. No, but but for some, it could be the only way to get it. Do you still think that's uh, more beneficial over uh, getting into stocks or something else? Like, because there is a certain point, like where I'm going, is is there a certain point where um, the math no longer works over other investment opportunities, whether it's mutual fund, RSPs, whatever other... Because uh... the thing is, the math is unpredictable now for long term. Yeah. Uh, before, we used to always say like 5 to 10% every year appreciation, and then we saw 20% in a matter of few months. So the appreciation equation in the real estate, if it started going as crazy as it did the last few years, or it go back to the norm we used to before, uh, then you have to make the math. Also, in, in the stock market, the, the appreciation of some uh, companies, Tesla, for example, you can't really predict how high it's going to go or how low it's going to drop in one day. So that's really uh, a risk for, for the client to, to take on their own. I, I can't really say which one is better. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I, I will say what I think. I think real estate is the safest. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the best. Yes, historically, historically also, uh, if you look from the 70s to the 80s to the now, like, and you cannot meet anybody right now who told you, I bought my house 50 years ago and now worth less. Yeah. Or 40 or 30 or even 10 or even five years ago. Right, exactly. Which goes back to what I said at the beginning. His, history cannot predict the future. But going by 40, 50, 60 years of history, it's been uh, pretty much a safe bet. And, and the uh, the drop last year, I wouldn't really call it crash because we had unhealthy increase from November to March of over 20%. Right. So more of a correction because that 20% was just odd. The, the market was already hot by September 2021. There was no need for that increase. But because of the demand just went up and then after the interest rate, it dropped down. To that, or maybe a little bit, a little bit lower than that. So I wouldn't really call it crush, uh, crash, more of a correction. Yeah, uh, I get that. That makes sense. Now, Leo, what would you? What has been your experience in the last, let's say, six to eight months with your own clients? Like, what have you been observing? What have been the trends that you have been seeing? Uh, different ones. Uh, the ones who are existing uh, see a lot of resilience. Like people, no matter how hard it things become, people who are available rates, they are not losing their homes, they're not selling their homes, they're doing whatever it takes to continue making the payments and waiting for uh, for the storm to, uh, they're riding the wave basically and waiting for the storm to, uh, to pass. Um, the other thing I'm seeing also, uh, increase of uh, refinancing. Um, people get into Debt with all the increases in, in prices and inflations, uh, people having kids, people go have kids going sports, hockey and all, all the hotels, traveling, all that build up the debt and people want to refinance to get rid of that. So refinancing is really getting a big purchase still happening, especially a new build. People who bought a few years ago and the closing is coming, they have to close. So uh, that's still happening, but refinancing is, is really taking uh, an increase. Got it. Got it. Got it. So I found that very interesting, actually, because I was actually uh, thinking that the refinance because of the lower interest rate versus higher interest rate, that uh, would be the opposite. But you got a point there. 
if you're rolling in credit card debt, doesn't matter what the interest rate is on the mortgage, it can't compete to the credit card debt. The cash flow, right? Yeah. The cash flow is is a key. If your mortgage payment is two thousand, but you have you're spending about three thousand in in uh, on debt and other other stuff that's going nowhere, and it's still every month it's getting even worse. Having the refinance and having maybe the payment of three thousand altogether or three thousand five hundred, and you got rid of all that debt, it makes life much much better. Absolutely. All right, Leo. I was going to ask you for your last words of advice to everybody and uh, how they reach out to you. Word of advice: Don't hold back. Don't sit at home and think like I can't buy or I can't uh, afford this or I can't do that. Buy. Uh, leverage your relations uh, mortgage broker anybody you know if you don't you can contact me and we go through your finances your goal what do you want to do and see if you can afford it or not then what is the plan what are the solutions we have for you even if there is no solution at least now you know versus you making the decision and you have that belief that you can't do it so that's what i would uh, i would recommend and if you can reach me uh, if you want to reach me you can find me in all social media uh or under leo saleh uh, L-E-O, and the last name is like the word sale at S- uh, H2O at the end. And my phone number is 519-573-0909. Leo, thank you so very much. You're very welcome. So buddy. happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. All right, we're going to get going with the next speaker, Mr. Antonio Domino. Hope I pronounced your name right. <laughs> All right. How's it going, John? Not bad, buddy. How you doing? Uh, not too bad. Keeping busy. Oh, that's great to hear, man. Thanks for so, having me on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. I hope I pronounced your name right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh for fantastic. Sure. Thank you. Awesome. So why don't you tell everybody where you're from, and then uh, I'll get into the question. Yeah, for sure. So my name's Antonio Domino. I'm a real estate and corporate lawyer uh, based in Toronto, Ontario, and I serve all of Ontario. My focus is real estate investors, and I'm a real estate investor myself. And my law firm has done a total of over a hundred million um, in transactions. So I'm hoping to give you some, uh, your audience, some insider views on what I see going on in the market and uh, how they can position themselves. Fantastic. Absolutely looking forward to that. So, I mean, we've had uh, quite a ride in the last year or two, maybe uh, more, but uh, you know, things have changed. The outlooks have changed. I mean, uh, I think you've dealt with new construction as well, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, yeah. So let's get into that. What have you been seeing? Yeah, so that's a great place to start because I think that is the biggest area of change that I've seen um, in my practice. And this might make a a few builders or realtors upset, but um, it's not looking good at all. Um, So the story with the the new build uh, industry is that over the last 10 years, people have been making uh, fortunes assigning new build contracts. So um, you could, you know, I personally knew of people working minimum wage jobs, literally buying two, three, four um, condos on paper, maybe qualifying for a different bank on each agreement, and literally two, three years later, assigning that contract, buying it explicitly for the purpose of assigning it, and making 100, 200 grand. So a lot of money was made. Um, That has come to an end more or less because of two reasons. The first reason is the way uh, new build assignments were taxed. They used to be taxed at capital gains, which means you buy a property at um, 
500, you sell it at 600, you sign it for 600, you made a hundred grand profit. Well, only 50% of that hundred grand profit is taxable. Assume you're in the top tax bracket, not everyone is, but assume you are, and the top tax brackets are on 50%. So rough numbers, 50% of 50 is 25 grand. So you made a hundred grand, 25 goes to Justin Trudeau, you keep the 75. But what happened after that was a hundred grand, they changed, um, they basically taxed it as income. So again, using the same example, you're a hundred grand, you, you're at the top tax bracket, you're taxed on that whole hundred grand. So 50 grand goes to the government. And on top of that, you're also getting HST on that hundred grand. So that's another 13%. So you went from 25 to the to government to 63, around, around that, to the government. Son of a bitch, and yeah. they call us realtors greedy. Yeah, so that was what what you know the government did. But the, the second big thing that happened was, of course, as you know, all of your guests have been talking about the interest rate hikes, right? And essentially the way new builds work for your audience is, you know, you buy, it's not like a resale, right? Where you, you sign the contract and usually in three months you close. So you more or less know the interest rates, right? Maybe they go up half a percent in that three month time period, but you more or less, you basically made peace with the fact that you're going to be paying interest, right? So, but uh, with the new builds, you're basically signing an agreement five years ago. So a lot of these people signed in 2019, 2020. And in that time period of five years, the interest rates have gone up so quickly that they're no longer in a position to close. And so we're, I'm getting called literally probably almost every day and I'm having this conversation on breach and what basically clients come to me saying, help, I can't, like, I can't close this, right? And I'll tell you the cycle, what happened. So um, pre-2022, in the I call them the FOMO years, basically after the 20, 2008 crash to 2022, where it's like fear of missing out, economy, the uh, prices just kept going higher and higher. And there was this perception in the market that the longer I wait, the more money I lose. And for the most part, it was true, right? Because it just kept going up. There were small blips, but it kept going up. Um, and so, yeah, so basically people could no longer, can no longer close. And pre-2022, in those FOMO years, I'm getting calls from people. I can hear the excitement in their voice because they're salivating at the prospect. You know, <laughs> maybe their brother or their uncle made a hundred grand, basically doing nothing, just the signing a contract. This is pure speculation, but this is the definition of speculation. And um, you know, they're calling me saying they want to telling me their plan. I tell them, okay, whatever. Around end of 2022, I start. You know, the Opinion was, well, I'm not going to make as much money as I thought, but I'm still going to make a profit. That's fine. Then it became, geez, I don't think, you know, 2023 around there, geez, I don't really think I'm going to make a profit. But as long as I walk away with my deposit back and I pay my realtors, I'll be fine. Then it became, well, I'll take care of my realtors. As long as I can get away with my deposit, I'll be fine. And it basically became, I'm losing my deposit. I'm losing my realtor if I walk away from this. And it went from greed to panic. And the situation today is literally, I can assign this pro- this uh, agreement at a loss, more or less 2019 prices, or I can 
walk away from the agreement, walk away from my deposit, walk away from my realtor fee, uh, not the realtor fees, you got to pay those, um, basically walk away from the deposit and risk getting sued. And so that's a conversation that I'm having all the time. And um, yeah, that's that's really the reality in that in that landscape. So which is the interesting perspective here, right? Because a lot of times people don't think of getting sued. They don't think it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. They think, well, they got my hundred grand. What more do they want? Well, I think, yeah, I think it's a good thing if you want, I can explain quickly how that works. Um, So let's use an example. You bought a, you bought a condo, 700 grand. Um, Your, the price, or sorry, you bought the condo price was a million bucks in 2020, let's say. Now it's worth 700 grand. We're just using rough numbers. Um, you put in 200 grand deposit and so you basically lose your deposit. So you've parted with 200 grand cause you can't close. So builder keeps your 200 grand, but guess what? It's worth 700 grand now. So 700 plus 200 is 900, still a hundred grand difference. So if the builder has to go out and sell that now, assuming a lot of times they don't suffer a loss, so they don't come after. But in this market, I'm getting a lot of these calls with those lawsuits are starting. Um, there's still that 100 grand there. And unfortunately, not only have you lost your deposit, but we basically call it damages. So put the builder in a place that they would have been had you not breached. Had you not breached, they would have made a million bucks. Now they're only making 900 bucks, 900 grand. So they're losing 100 grand. They can come after you for that 100 grand. Right. Plus right. fees, plus legals and all that stuff. So that's a very unfortunate situation to be in. And in that situation, I try and push my clients as much as possible to try and close as much as they can, whether it's boring for family members, um, maybe getting, you know, loans, private lending, you know, they're going to get hit with 12% interest. It sucks. But hey, you can try and ride it out for the next year. Um, maybe the interest rates go down, maybe the prices go back up. It's worth a shot. Um, or just try assigning it to someone else. But the unfortunate situation is you're signing it at at a loss, at for loss sure. right? So it's a very difficult situation. And what we do at our firm is we really get our litigation lawyers to dive into that agreement and try and see any way we can get our client out of the agreement or at least a great deal. Um, and we try and negotiate with the builder um, to try and get our client out of that deal at the very least minimizing their losses. Absolutely. I have a question about that, but I see we have a question from someone watching. What happens if one of your new build units that caught on fire? (laughs) I know the answer to this, but I want you to answer it. Well, that's an interesting question because if it caught on fire after, so in new build construction, there's, there's the occupancy date and there's a closing date. There's two, two, uh, closings. The occupancy is basically when you move in and the closing date is afterwards. So depending on if you have insurance, you're more or less obligated to get insurance when you move in. So if it catches on fire, basically the insurance is paying that out. Before though, that's an interesting question. I've never actually dealt with a situation where it burned before. Technically the builder is building it. So it, it would be his responsibility the builder's responsibility to cover that. But I'm assuming your question is more directed to what happens when after you occupy. And um, actually, I think I know what they're talking about because I've heard this question. I've, I've heard this. I've seen recently in some stories, some 
shenanigans going on with people burning. Right. Now, I, and correct me if I'm wrong when you're, if you're watching this. Uh, I think they mean on the perspective that, um, prime example, you just told me that I'm going to get sued for 100 grand more than my 200 grand uh, law deposit, and I don't want, and I get stuck, and I feel like I'm screwed. We haven't closed. I haven't occupied. I paid somebody to light that place on fire so I can't close because there's no house to close on. And I think that's what I mean. Do they get off the hook by doing that? Um, probably not. Depend on your contract, what the insurance terms there are. But um, hey, if it's an accident and and the insurance covers it, then you might have a chance. But if it's insurance companies love getting away with not paying you so you could be in it's sort of a double-edged situation you might be off the hook but you might be really really screwed so i would consult a lawyer get them to look at your contract look at your whole situation holistically and uh give you some good advice moral of the story is if you're stuck don't burn the damn place because yeah. more than likely you're still going to owe it somewhere along the line <laughs> so yeah no lighting the place on fire is not an option or not a good option at least <laughs> so but yeah great question there thanks for putting that in i mean i i guess when people get desperate what are you gonna you know for sure it's it's just a shame it's a i i don't really think that people should have uh, consulted the professionals long before they got into that position yeah and that's a great point that's an excellent point you know i had a client reach out to me and she signed on the dotted line basically there was a a grace period for the new build and it was i think it was two weeks and essentially she passed that grace period and then she called me and said i can't close on this and i said well why didn't you call me two weeks ago right like and i my heart just sunk because it was past the grace period she was locked into the contract there's nothing she can do and she literally nobody told her at least i'm assuming the realtor selling her the property told her if that realtor was you know professional but i guess they didn't and for literally i think i charge about 300 bucks for like just a a review of a new build um, depending on the size and like for 300 bucks now she's stuck with a million bucks she's lost uh, she risks losing 50 60 grand deposits and it's just a bad situation so to me spending three four hundred bucks to avoid losing a hundred grand is a pretty good deal um, it's all about risk mitigation so hundred percent and that's the point I want to bring out that people there's a reason why people are called professionals. If you're buying something, especially as big as a home and as massive amount, you know, of money there and a lot to lose and sometimes more than you actually believe you're going to lose, it is worth seeking the professional. That's why they're called professionals. You don't want to find out when you don't, you know, what to do when you ran out of options. You want to find this out and get prepared long before that happens. So now, again, nobody can control interest rates um, and nobody believed that interest rates will go up when the truth of the matter is that history would have showed you that interest rates don't stay the same. Just like they were consistently going down, at some point they're going to consistently go up. They fluctuate, and that's why it's based on economy and everything that's going on. So with that being said, I mean, again, there's not much they can do about it now, which brings up the next question, uh, which is going to be in terms of new construction. What is your perspective on that now? So seeing that there's a record number of assignments out there, and um, there's still a lot of new builds out there, yep. and we're starting to see a lot of defaults out there. What is your advice in terms of people looking at new construction today? Well, you can buy new construction, nothing wrong with new constructions. Um, I'm, maybe we'll get to this near the end of the show, but I'm very bullish on the Ontario market. Um, 
but I do think if look if you're looking at new new constructions, you're looking at pre-COVID prices in a lot of time, uh, a lot of the realms. So just buy at the right price, right? You're not, uh, and the problem is a lot of these builders are listing in their mind. They're thinking like we're still in, you know, like like uh, Leo and Joe here mentioned. They think we're still in 2023, 2022, 2023, but we're not. I'm um, in this situation. The new assignment market is very illiquid right now, which means that it's very difficult for people to offload their, um, it's very difficult for people to offload their new assignments. So, you know, keeping that in mind, I think there are going to be plentiful deals out there in the next two to three years. Um, so keep that in mind, but, um, yeah, just, be really careful with the pricing there because it's not what it used to be, what it was. Absolutely. Now it comes down to if you want to know what is good or bad in terms of new construction, that is the perfect opportunity to reach out to a realtor because they know what the market is like out there. They know what it's uh, what where things have gone, and it's uh, good to gauge what uh, today's prices are compared to what they're asking for. So you can kind of get a good gauge of uh, whether or not you're getting a good deal for mm -hmm. the uh, unit you're looking for. I mean, also consider talking to your mortgage uh, professional because you want to make sure that you're going to get the uh, financing for it. You know, before you're uh, end up in this uh, boat where uh, <laughs> you can't close. And look, you mentioned uh, some builders out there. Yeah, there are some builders going into receivership. I believe the one at uh, Young and Young and uh, yep. Bluer, yeah, is having some issues. But look, I mean, there's the metrics are there, right? We have four hundred thousand new immigrants coming, and that's just the immigrants, um, official immigrants. That doesn't include refugees. That doesn't include uh, people from Ukraine, which are technically, you know, refugees from Ukraine are considered immigrants. They're actually legally under another definition. So you got all that. Um, CMHC actually predicted that the uh, amount of new new homes we're going to need by 2020 to restore affordability for Canadians is about 6 million, 6 million new homes. We're on track. That's two time, two and a half times higher than what we're on track for. So, you know, the, the metrics are there in the long term. Um, I think there's going to be a, a bit of a twist in this interview because I'm, I don't think that the short term is necessarily going to reflect the long term and the immigration argument applies to the short term, um, but we can get into that. But in terms of building, look, the construction costs of construction are a bit high now, historically, um, there's a higher uh, financing cost. So builders are a bit, it's a bit slower, but just the overall metrics are there no matter where you look in Canada. So long-term, mid-long-term, five, 10 uh, years, the the landscape looks very, very good for anyone owning real estate and uh, builders. Absolutely. So more of the story out there, people, is that real estate is still a great asset. You just got to get in the market and got to get in the market at a great price, at a great, the numbers. It all comes down to the numbers. Make sure you know your numbers, know what you can afford, know what they compare to today's market and make sure you buy today's market. There is plentiful opportunities out there. It is a great time to get into it now because now is the opportunities where people are going to entertain those offers that 
maybe weren't not so desirable a year ago. So that's the opportunity there. Now, the other thing I'm, I want to mention, and I'm going to get a little hate on this if anybody from CHMC ever watches this, but they've been historically wrong about a lot of things. And um, you got to take their words for the grain of salt, but they did get it right where I do believe we are have we do have a shortage out there. And we are going to need more homes than they can build. That is true. I don't really believe there's six million things. In 2020, they told mm. us the housing market was going to crash mm. and it actually blew up. So mm. <laughs> from what I've seen, they've always been wrong. Or, well, you know, so yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. It's perspective um, at the end of the day. I do think, you know, there's we're the fastest in the last 10 years. We're the fastest growing G7 country in the world and our population's aging. So the main the main source of that is immigration. Um, but at the same time, out of all the countries in the G7, we are the lowest in the production of housing. And if you look at a map of Canada, you know, we're like we're like the second largest country in the world, yet, you know, the 40th largest in population. So, you know, pro- producing housing shouldn't be that difficult because land is something that we, we don't have any short in, right? So, um, but, you know, the, the, the reason why we are, the where we are today is, is a few factors. Um, we can talk about that or we can move on to uh, resales, what I'm seeing in the resale market. So it's up to you. Let's go on to the resale because I think sure. the, the, the point of, uh, of all this is there. At the end yeah. of the day, the, the, the moral of the story is that it's still, there's opportunities out there if you know your numbers and it's a long-term game and you shouldn't be afraid. Just talk to the professional so you can be best prepared and moving forward that with that, let's go, let's go on with the uh, resales. Yeah. So resale's been doing better than uh, new builds. Um, the market is still, from what I've seen, it's probably down about 10, 10% at least. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of, in my practice, I'm seeing a lot of homes in the million range um, or under a million still, you know, I'm seeing just as many of those transactions, a little, a little less, I wouldn't say just as many. Um, over that though, like around 1.52 mil, I'm starting to see those transactions go down quite a bit. I'm seeing uh, more power of sales, believe it or not. So, I believe it. So power of sales basically for your audience is when uh, people default on their properties, whether it's commercial investment or residential, they can't put, pay the mortgages anymore. <coughs> um, the, the lender actually takes control of the property and sells it to get their money back. We're seeing that, I'm seeing that a lot with um, properties that maybe three years ago, people even didn't like were having a hard time back then to qualify for mortgage for various reasons maybe they work for themselves or um, they don't qualify for that traditional financing and unfortunately because rates went up that also affects the private mortgage rates right so uh, those have gone up as well and just people can't can't keep up so i'm seeing more of uh, private sales but um that, that's that's where I see the uh, the resale market at the time being, and of course, it's uh, real estate isn't local; it's hyper local, so it's really going to depend. So, talk to your realtor about that. But um, that's what I'm seeing in the market, and um, yeah, I think I think in the next two to three years, we're going to see uh, a lot of opportunities. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to go up and beat up on Niagara Falls again because apparently today I like to beat up on Niagara, and. Um, what ends up happening is that uh, they're taking a beating because they have a lot, a lot of listings on the market right now, more than what you're expecting. Mm. And 
I don't know why. Well, I got speculation to why, but uh, I'm not going to get into it. Um, but uh, there's nothing wrong with Niagara Falls for anybody watching. It's just that uh, when you have a lot of listings, that means supplier is higher than demand. Naturally, there's going to be a struggle. But you're right about the two million plus. I found that they're on the market somewhere between 90 to 120 days, and they uh, often go uh, with uh, many price reductions before they actually sell. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it has to do with affordability, because uh, <laughs> you know these days, if you ha- used to be, if you had a hundred thousand dollars of income, you could uh, qualify for a home at four hundred fifty thousand. So you take two people working, that's a nine hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Well, that's the average worker today is what sixty four thousand. So they're even short for that. Mm-hmm. So how many people out there really qualify for a two yeah. million dollar home? Yeah, let's remember, right? Like the prices of real estate just about doubled in the last 10 years. Real wages really haven't moved that much, maybe 10, 15%. Real wages adjusted to uh, to the real inflation numbers. I'm not talking about the stuff that the <laughs> government's giving you, the CPI, which um, is not ac- like accurate, um, real wages. So it's obviously become tough for Canadians to afford housing. It's probably the toughest as it, this year's probably the toughest. and um, it's made all the worse with, you know, the last 10 years of basically prices outstripping people's savings and Canadians having to go in debt. And so we're in a precarious situation where our Canadians are the highest indebted country out of any G7 country. Wow. So that, that's a that's a big fact. I saw that a few days ago. And um, yeah, we're it's and that's a little precarious in in my opinion, right? Like we're seeing the variable rate mortgages. Um, Lee obviously talks this as his specialty, but variable rate mortgages pass what's called the trigger point, which means that you know you have your payments, you got your principal, you got your interest, a bit of both. But when the interest rate keeps going up, more and more of that payment becomes interest till the whole payment is interest, and then it's even pushing past that trigger point and going into what's called like negative amortization. So essentially. Your, all your payments are going to interest. And you at that point, you either have three options. You can pay off the more of the principal, you can make bigger payments, or you can just add that interest, that extra interest to the amortization, to the, to the principal, right. right? Which extends your amortization, which means you become even more in debt. Um, so, and then obviously there's those fixed loans that are coming due in 2024, 2025, 2026. And a lot of those payments are gonna be doubling. So, you know, opportunities um, coming, opportunity watching, coming. save your money. <laughs> yeah. Don't have a crystal ball, but hey, I think that I think that things are you know, I don't want to say this, but it seems to me that things are going to get worse. Um, but that means that there's going to be probably historic opportunity to buy real estate. So, um, for those realtors out there who like are always like buy buy buy, um, Maybe I'm not the lawyer for you, but I, you know, hey, like buy in two months or, you know, in the next year, I think there's going to be more opportunity to, to buy than ever. There's going to be a lot of opportunities out there. Um, and personally, if you want to know what my sophisticated events, investors are doing, here's an insider tip. Um, the, my clients who have money, who are developers, who are investing are actually sitting by the sidelines with cash ready to move in. So, you know. That's not everyone. That's you know some of my clients. A lot of my clients actually are doing that. Um, 
which just tells you that kind of they're ready, right? So yeah, absolutely, there's buyers in the market out there if you're if they're willing to, uh, you know, get yeah. the right price. Again, it goes back to it. You either wait and figure it out, like when you're comfortable and you can afford it. Um, again, it goes back to what I've been saying. Now's the time for insulting offers. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely, you know what I mean. And if uh, anybody's out there and you want to look for an investment opportunity, now's my time. I'm going to pitch Papaloni Capital. I will joint venture with anybody who wants mm-hmm. to buy. And believe me, I've got my realtor's license and my mortgage license. I'll look for the deals. we got a deal. You want to partner up with me, just reach out with me. Instagram, message me on Instagram or you can email me at john at papalonecapital.com and uh, let's talk the opportunity. And going back to you. And uh, so, yeah, so that's what you're saying. Your investors are um, holding off. A lot of people are holding yeah. off. I think this is common and I don't think there's anything wrong. Mm-hmm. But if you got the right offer, now might be a yeah. good time. Yeah, um, it might be a good time. Again, it's time in the market, not time in the market. Very hard to time the market. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about like these blanket statements about immigration. And yes, I agree in the five, 10 year span, immigration is going to bring the property prices up and all of that, all those items we we're talking about. But look, I mean, people are waiting on the sidelines, right? So there's this perception that waiting, there's an advantage to waiting versus to actually going into the market because there's a perception that potentially there's going to be more of a downturn ahead and the prices are going to go down more. So it's the opposite of two years ago, right? And, you know, on the immigration front, like why why are immigrants going to be any different, right? Whether it's 10 immigrants, 100 immigrants or, you know, 400,000 immigrants, if you know, human nature is human nature. And I think if people see that, if the general consensus among people is that there might be, it might go a little bit lower, people are going to wait, no matter if they're regular people or immigrants. So uh, the immigrant immigration argument doesn't, I don't, I don't see the immigration argument um, in the short term. Um, no, Antonio, the, the whole concept of the immigration that's being preached out there isn't so much that, um, that the immigration are coming here with thousands of, you know, millions of dollars and, and they're ready to buy up and drive the prices up. Yeah. The consensus really out there is the fact that if we have a thousand homes built and we have 2000 people who need a home, there's a shortage of homes. Mm -hmm. And right now there's a shortage of homes and a shortage of people can afford to buy, which is really the uh, perfect storm. If you think about it. Right. So very good rental, very good for a rental market. Absolutely. Which is exactly what we're seeing now. Yeah. And then the long term, you're looking five to ten years like if you can if you own property now and you can you know you're not on right on the brink where like a one percent interest rate would like just destroy you i would say try and hold on as much as you can because over this next two and three year horizon i think that you know the, the, unless things drastically change we go to war or we get a new government and you just totally decimate immigration which could happen i don't see it happening um you know after that hill after we get through the hump of the next two two years i think uh, you're going to do really well and um if you have cash if you're looking to buy look the next two years is going to be a great time um so yeah that's i think that's that's where i'm looking absolutely basically moral of the story and we've been saying everybody here has been saying this for the last hour and a half the key to real estate is to basically hold on to what you buy at the end of the day you choose when you sell if you can't make a profit don't sell as long as you can hold on to it, moral of the story is if you can hold on to it, hold on to it. If you're not sure, talk to your professional. 
Real estate is the long-term gain. And I think you've been hearing that consistently for the last three, uh, hour and a half, should I say. So, Antonio, yeah. now, what is your perspective? I mean, you're an investor yourself. Mm. What, are, what are you looking at? Um, look, I mean, the here's the thing. The market in the United, the economy in the United States. Boom, here we go. Despite what the media says, is on fire. Okay, banks have been going. <laughs> banks have been going out of business, and um, <laughs> inflation is still rampant in the U.S. And the Federal Reserve has responded to that, obviously, by all these interest rates hikes. But let's be clear: like the Federal Reserve Bank of Can of the United States doesn't give a damn about the Canadian housing market, the Australian housing market, New Zealand and UK, all these peripheral countries that are in a housing bubble since for the last 10 years. And let's remember in the United States, there hasn't been a housing bubble really, right? Um, the housing bubble is in these peripheral countries. And in the United States, they have 30 year terms, right? Here we only have two to seven year terms. So that all this, you know, talk about renewals and feeling that pain, it's only really, new buyers, right? Not really feeling it down there. No. So knowing that increasing rates won't drastically um, harm the U.S. economy, that's still on the table. I think that potentially there's still some um, potential for them to increase rates if inflation keeps going, or at least just maintain it for the next three years, which is still not great. And um, and that's a situation we're in. And and. Canada, because it follows the United States and its dollarization, has a stark decision. Does it uh, does it follow interest rates up? Well, yeah. Tank or, the dollar, tank the market. Yeah. Or it comes does it to. allow its dollar to plummet? Right. And neither of those neither of those options are good options. So, um, I think we're end entering um, a year of pain, to be honest, because we're entering a world that doesn't care about the Canadian housing market. Right. And <coughs> we're essentially entering a world where we can't control. So for that reason, this isn't doom and gloom. I think it's a great opportunity for people who are have been thinking about getting into the market to get their realtor ready, get their um, mortgage broker ready, because in the next like I personally don't see us returning to normalcy in the next two to three years. I just don't see it happening. And I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities there. Um, but, you know, we are overexposed in Canada to housing. 20% of our economy, 25% is based on housing, right? So even if those mortgage, those uh, fixed mortgages renew and or the government, uh, the banks kind of give us some slack and increase amortization periods, right? There's going to be some people who default. And, you know, if our whole economy is mainly based on real estate, it kind of gets into a snowball effect where people, you know, the economy's in a bit of a downturn. So more people lose their jobs. Those people can't afford their mortgages anymore. You know, the default that brings a real estate economy uh, down more, it's a vicious cycle. So I'm, I'm hoping, well, actually, I personally hope that happens for me because that'll be great for opportunities. But I don't hope that it happens for most Canadians. I want Canadians to stay in their homes. But I yeah, think, absolutely. you know, for your people looking out there. If you're on the brink of things, I, I agree with um, what you were saying and, you know, uh, what Leo and Joe are saying, like, it might be wise to sell a bit of your investment properties. I've seen in my practice a lot of condos being sold 
not owner occupied condos, but just rentals. you know rentals, yeah. right? Because what happened was they're no longer cash flowing. Nope. And a lot of these rentals were bought pre COVID, so yep. they got huge amount of equity there. So I'm saying, why am I going to have this property that's not cash flowing, right? And they're selling them off to keep their other properties, right? Well, so, right. And the perspective on if you're selling the condos because it's a rental one, like you said, the perspective there is if you bought a pre pre two nine two thousand nineteen. You're still turning a profit. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people have the perspective of saying, "Oh, well, you know what? Last year it was worth eight hundred thousand. Now I can only get seven. I'm losing a hundred thousand. No, you bought it at five hundred thousand. You made two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to wait till six hundred thousand to sell it? Yeah. You know what I mean? I think if you have the opportunity, cash out on the investment, keep the uh, one you live in. Yep. That's the way I look at it. And that's my perspective. Now, where I'm contrary mm-hmm. is that uh, you mentioned United States. Yeah. And I love landlord-friendly states yep. where we Me don't too. have what Joe was talking about, about people not paying the rents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you're in the United States and you're landlord-friendly states and they don't pay the rents, it's very simple. You got 15 days, get out. And yep. it's really that simple. And I know in your business, you're really targeting those uh, landlord-friendly states. 100%. So 100%. Uh, yeah, if you want to learn, learn more, I'd... Advice. Reach out to me. Yeah, you can uh, reach out to me anytime. Again, John at PapaloniCapital.com. If you're interested in investing in a landlord-friendly states and joint venturing with me with opportunities out there, because right now there's the opportunities. Right now is the time for insulting mm-hmm. offers. And uh, yeah, I think there's going to be many, many opportunities out there. I like the landlord-friendly places. There's even uh, landlord-friendly places in Canada if you're looking in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Now, I like now Alberta is one of those things that. Um, it's rocky. It's touch and go, right? Like a mm-hmm. uh, prime example, if you're buying, like if you're buying uh, freehold, you know, houses, yep. there's opportunity there for growth because mm-hmm. that's what people out there want. Um, I think it's still premature for condos out there because they're in a spot where they have a lot of land that's unused and they yeah, want it's, it's, land. Yeah, it's more boom and bust there, but that's changing. That's changing. Yeah. So it's futuristic. Um, that's very long term for and, sure. And I think that. Alberta is probably one of the few places like I myself look at look at Alberta in addition to southern U.S. landlord friendly states. And Alberta is one of those places where um, I think there's a lot of potential. Right. You got low, low sales tax. I think it's like eight percent. No land transfer tax. Um, it's, you know, low, better cap rates. Right. Right. Like better income producing properties, a better landlord tenant board. You know, not as good as Texas. All right, but... all right, all right. You convinced me. All right, let's go. Everybody pack up. Let's go. We're going to move to uh, Alberta. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you asked me where I'm looking. Um, that's probably where I'm looking. I also have property in Toronto. And, I look, I think the Golden Horseshoe oh, is... have property in Toronto? Yeah. My condolences. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I've never had to deal with... Um, <laughs> any tenant problems as of yet? Screening That's because they know you're a lawyer. They're scared of you. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if the landlord, or let me call it the tenant tribunal. I don't want to call it the landlord and tenant tribunal because I don't think they yeah, yeah, really help we, landlords. We probably shouldn't be saying that here because yeah, yeah. the tenants probably don't know that. <laughs> they look at you and say, Maybe lawyer, and go bad. <laughs> don't uh, don't screw this guy. <laughs> they haven't figured out that the tenant board still sides with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I think as John was saying, you know, landlord friendly, uh, states in the U S are, are your best bet, but Hey, like not everyone can go to the U S people are looking for prop, you know, they might just be starting. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think that if you can join venture with people and buy things, buy property in the GTA around 
parts, maybe peripheral parts of like GTA or Hamilton, anywhere in the Golden Horseshoe that are kind of on the up? Absolutely. And that's where I was going with before. If this is your first home or your first investment on your own or whether it's joint venture, the very first home, don't go buying a house in the States. Don't make your experiment somewhere where you don't know any of the rules. You don't know what the hell's going on. And just going out there because it looks cool and everyone's talking about it. Mm -hmm. Make your first home in your own backyard where at least you know what the heck's going on and you can learn from that. But I think, you know, like now is probably not the best time to be trying out flips or not flips, uh, short term, no, no, it's yeah, always yeah, long term, term for sure. My, but I'm saying your first home, your first for sure. place you purchase, first thing you purchase is in your own backyard. You're probably going to learn the most on your first deal. hundred percent. Right. And then, uh, and that's when you, you know, you can expand outside from there. Right. Now, again, if you're willing to join a syndication mm-hmm. or um, joint venture with somebody who has the experience. That might be an opportunity. And it's got to be somebody you really trust. Now, syndication, there's plenty of them out there. Like I said, you want to invest with me? That's an opportunity. I've got a lot of experience in there. I don't know how many properties I've been through. Um, so there's opportunities there as well. And, that, and again, I got the you know the back, the reputation. I've got the, uh, the experience with that. So mm-hmm. I know what to look out for. And you don't have to invest with me. You can invest with somebody else. Even if you want advice, reach out. That's fine too. But uh, if it, in terms of law, you're better off to reach out to Antonio, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so again, it goes back to what you said. There's the opportunity. First one has to be in your backyard. It's got to be. That's just the smart way to do it or join a syndication, either one. Yeah, yeah so I mean, I think I, I agree with most of your, uh, with Leo and with Joe and mo- most uh, most of what they're saying. I think where I disagree, though, is just a bit on the timing. Like, I think that, you know, a lot of people, the, some people might be right. Maybe we are in the, uh, we are at the bottom. I don't know. Nobody knows, right? No crystal ball. But I think, you know, based on, you know, nobody has a crystal ball. And anyone who says, like, with blanket open statements that it's definitely going to go up, it's definitely go down, you should you should really question them, ask them. Like, they should have answers for the question, well, why is immigration, why are immigrants going to act any differently in the next two years? Why won't they sit on the sidelines and wait for opportunities as well? Um, you know, why do you think interest rates are going to go down given what's going on in the United States? Um, what do you think about the commercial market? Because there's going to be a lot of opportunity there in the U.S., right? The commercial market, a lot of commercial loans are coming for renewal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these commercial landlords can't pay for them. And there's going to be a lot of deals in the commercial market. Commercial effects are residential. So, 100% because you know, where the commercial is is where the jobs are. If there's no right? jobs. Right. What's, what's, you know, ask them, what do you think, how do you think, kind of the markets in the periphery, like Australia, UK, and all these are going to affect um, mean for the, the market, right? Like, as long as they have answers to these questions, but, um, you know, it's, it's why it's really good to vet your professionals. And, um, you know, because a lot of professionals will just kind of, unfortunately, uh, realtors, brokers, lawyers, we're kind of, we can sometimes be hated professions, because, you know, the general public think that um, a lot of times our interests are different from our clients' interests. And, um, you know, sometimes that's true. The incentive is there sometimes, but, you know, you want to you wanna team up, build your power team of people, you know, like John, like Joe, um, like myself, like Leo, to, um, to give you professional advice and informed advice and uh, make the best decision for you. Absolutely, which is the other point I want to touch upon now. What it comes down to is who do you know, you know, who do you know that you can trust? And at the end of the day, 
If someone's willing to do something for 1% when someone else is doing it for 3%, your first question should be, why? What am I losing? Because almost never is something cheaper and better. Mm-hmm. It's usually something cut out. Because here's the best way to, to, to describe it. If you're watching and you work at a job and you're getting paid 80 grand a year and all of a sudden, you know, employer says, hey, you should come and work for me in my department, one of your bosses. We'll pay you 60 grand. Would you go do it? The answer is probably no. So why would someone work for less money if they're providing top, you know, top quality service? More than likely, they're not. They're cutting corners somewhere because, hey, how else are you going to get the price lower? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's uh, what it comes down to is you got to look at what's right for you. Where are your finances? Where, what are your expectations? How much turmoil can you handle? How long can you hold on in for? If you're looking at real estate in a 10-year perspective, any time is really a good time to buy because you have that long-term perspective. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at something where I've got it for one or two years, maybe now is not really the time. Mm-hmm. That's really what it boils down to is like think of it as in a long-term perspective. Know your options, know your connections, and know your uh, exit strategies should things change. And know who you, who you can trust. Yeah. Bottom line is that you know you got to do your homework. Right. Exactly. And you know it really depends on your goals, right? Because long term is different from short term. So if your goals are short term, you know now might not be. You know if you're looking to unload in a you know flip in the next year, I would I wouldn't touch it. But long term, if your goal is well, yeah, I don't I don't care about well, where the property is going to go next year in terms of price. I'm buying for the long term. I'm buying for 10, 20 years. Well, the next year or two might be the best time literally in the last 20 years. Like you, we got to remember the last time we had a downturn in the market was 1989. That was 35 years ago. Like that's a long time ago. We've had a long bull market. So when I say like, I don't like using the word economy is going to be like property is going to be like, it's bad. The market's bad. The market's good. It's, it's, it's deeper than that, right? It's not just black or white it's good for who bad for who is it bad for people or like we're speculating like crazy and bought four four uh condos on a mcdonald's salary and now you know they're trying to sign it and they can't yeah it's bad for those speculators but right they took the risk now they're gonna you know like the kid that puts his hand on the stove they're gonna get burned and hopefully you know they'll remember absolutely um but you know it's good for people who have been uh looking for a long time to invest in real estate and i think you know in the next two or three years may be the best opportunity in in the next decade again no one has a crystal ball but based on what we're seeing both in my practice and the mac the economics of it um that's at least what appears to be the case awesome antonio it's been phenomenal why don't you tell people how they uh, how to reach you and uh, where they should find you yeah for sure so you can reach me on social media at my name, Antonio Domino, D-I-M-I-N-N-O, um, or, you know, shoot me, a, shoot me a call or an email. My phone number is 647-205-9128. Um, I'm not one of those lawyers, as John knows, that bills for every damn second. Um, so t- don't he worry about that. bills for every that. 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about that. I love, I love talking to investors. Um, I love, you know, making friends with investors. Unlike a lot of lawyers, I'm an investor myself, so I can speak your language and um, always looking to make friends in the investor world. It's a it's a small 
community actually. So um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me anytime if you have any questions and uh, yeah. Alex Antonio, awesome. thank you so much. Pleasure. Guys, this has been the webinar. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got some valuable information. You can always reach out if you have any other questions. We can uh, answer them offline or send you a, a reply. And uh, I want to thank you for tuning in and watching the show today. It's been phenomenal. Hope it was valuable. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, it's John Papaloni.